you have your Bibles, go with me to Mark chapter 11. We will be wrapping up, or uh, we'll be wrapping up chapter 11 uh, this week, and uh, I'm I'm really excited about this text, uh, being able to sit with it this week and, and think through it, and uh, and really what I feel like the Lord wants to say to us. Um, before we pray, I, I do want to recap with you from last week. We talked about. Um, what it looked like when Jesus and his disciples entered the temple, this place that was supposed to be worship, uh, this place that was supposed to be uh, easy access. Uh, you should have been able to walk in. We talked about the outer courts. Um, there were about 35 acres or so uh, of, of space to where Gentiles would be able to come and worship God. And, and, and God desired for his house to be a house of prayer. We talked about how Jesus actually rolled into the temple. And um, when he gets there, he begins just flipping tables over. All right, that's what we talked about. Remember, he, he goes into the temple and he's so frustrated, he's so angry. The Bible says be angry and sin not. Jesus had this, this righteous anger, this holy anger, and he just starts flipping over tables, running out the money changers, and really points his finger at the church of his day, points his finger at the religious, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, and all these religious elite around him, and he says this, my house is supposed to be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. We said that really Jesus just confronted the church with the word. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get confronted with the word, it's uncomfortable. And Jesus was quoting Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7:11. there. He told the religious elite, the Pharisees, the hypocrites, listen, you, this place was supposed to be accessible. This place was supposed to be a place where... Man, people just come in and they, they, they connect with God and there's this one-on-one -on -one environment, but you have made it so many other things other than what it was. And what we talked about last week is how even today in 2018, the church, a place that's supposed to be welcoming and inviting, a place of refuge where we can grow together and learn together and, and, and be loved on and loved back to health is sometimes a place of, of political preferences and frustrations and bureaucracy and resentment and disunity. And we talked about how Jesus, if he would have walked in this place or any other church probably in America, he would begin to flip tables. And we talked about how heartbreaking it was last week that it wasn't the lost culture around the church that was tearing down worship. It was actually the religious elite. It was the church folks who were hindering worship by turning it, turning it into a show, turning it into a routine turning it into just a tradition rather than a relationship and heartfelt worship to a holy God. And we talked about how Jesus wasn't about that life. How it made him angry. And we talked about even walking into town, Jesus looks at this tree and he says, hey, he, he wants some fruit from it. And he goes up to it and there's no fruit on it. He said, well, you're cursed. Never again will anyone eat fruit from you, ever. You're done. And so this is where we pick up. Jesus says, Leaving the temple, leaving the city. Oh, I'll say this too. When Jesus walks in and he cursed the tree, he also cursed the temple. This was a picture. He was laying out this picture for the, the disciples and the people around him. What's interesting is it was immediate that the tree began to die. The actual original language says that it withered at the root. Like the whole tree just instantly died. Now, um, the temple didn't fall until AD 70 when Rome came in and sacked it. But all of Jerusalem fell. So how, how crazy is that? Jesus goes in, he curses the fig tree, he curses the temple, and just a few years later, Jerusalem's overthrown, the temple falls, it's destroyed. 
Because Jesus hates hypocrisy. Let's pick up in verse 20. And they passed by in the morning. They, and when they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away at its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, or teacher, look, the fig tree that you curse has withered. And Jesus said to them, and I want you to grab a hold of these few words and cling to these. Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. And then hang with me just for a few more verses. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to him and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority to do this? And Jesus said to them, I'm going to ask you a question. And you answer me. I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? They discussed it with one another and said, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you then not believe in him? But if you say from man, we are afraid because the people believe that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. Father, you're the greatest of all time. God, you never change, you never waver, you never fail, and you never back down. You're infinitely better than anything that we could experience on this planet. And so, God, I pray from the bottom of my heart today that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive all that your word has for us. God, we don't want to get caught up in this world and the noise of this world and miss what you might be whispering to us. God, we believe that you're speaking, and we long to hear from you. So God, this morning, as we work through the text together, I pray that you would stir our hearts, God, Lord, that you would give us deep affection for your words, God, Lord, and that you would affect change in our life, Lord, because you're the only one who can. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's amazing what Jesus is saying here in the text. Now, now, let's paint this picture together and look, look where Jesus and his boys are, Jesus and the disciples, what they're actually doing. Jesus cursed the tree, flipped over tables. He proved that the institution of religion at the time had failed the people. And what we said last week, much like today, nine in ten kids when they leave high school, they don't come back to church until their mid-30s, and then it's a very small fraction that actually come back after they have their first child so that they can raise their children in church. The institution that we call church has largely failed the world today. And Jesus hasn't failed anybody. But this is what he's putting on display for his disciples. This is, and and man, I, this is why I want you to cling to this phrase, have faith in God, because this is what Jesus does. He says, look, look at this tree that was supposed to provide. The natural world will fail you. It will let you down. This thing that in this life and in this world, this planet, this air, this body will one day break down and it will let you down. Don't put your faith there. And Jesus had just walked out of the church with these guys where the church had, had failed the world around him. And Jesus was saying this, hey guys, look, don't put your faith in man. Don't put your faith in a religious system. Put your faith in God. Say, TJ, that's a little uncomfortable. I, I know it is, but if we have faith in God, if God is the centerpiece of our affection, if he is all satisfying to us like he is, 
then the world around us can fail us and man can fail us and churches can let us down and we'll still prize God. We'll still have joy. We'll still operate in peace. We'll still feel life springing up in us if he is our chief, our chief prize. We gotta have faith. I'll tell you a story real quick. Um, when I was in high school, I was in the ninth grade, and uh, I moved away. I moved uh, uh, about 13 times in a span of four years, four or five years. It was a pretty chaotic situation. Went to three or four different schools, and um, there was a lot of chaos. And so I finally anchored back at uh, Lee County High School. In my ninth grade year, I thought, man, this is going to be the year, right? I, like Things are going to go good for me. And um, I get there, and it was the first week or so, and we were at lunch, and this senior, I don't know if you guys have ever been involved in anything like this, like seniors, for some reason, love to, to single out the underclassmen, the, the freshmen, right? So, so at, back in that day, it would have been called bullying. We just called it life. But, like, um, I mean, it, it was, and bullying's real, and I'm, I'm, but I'm just saying. And, and so I'll, I remember this, this bully walks in to the lunchroom, and I'm in front of all these people, and he starts kind of talking trash, what we would have called back then and. and Oh, God, so long ago, but I feel like just talking trash. So I'm a ninth grader. I'm not a big guy. This guy was huge. He was like 6'1", played on the football team, and he's saying some, some words that can't be censored in this room. So, so, I mean, he's just yelling and making kind of a fool of himself, but everybody thought he was cool, and it was like, oh, man, TJ is about to get demolished. And he's like, I'm going to fight. So what do I do as a ninth grader who... Grew up in not the safest part of town. I will fight you, bro. I'm going to do this. So I stand up and start yelling things back. And he says these words. He says, we will meet at the end of the hall at the end of the period. It's like, yeah, we will. Inside, I'm thinking, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. So, you know, I, time, you know, my life expectancy is dwindling as I sit and eat my lunch. And and I'll never forget the bell rings, and, and I, I'm going to the end of the hall. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to face the music. I, I, I was that kind of kid. I was, I'm going to face the music. I'm going to go and take this guy on, and I will be pummeled, but it will be known on this day that T.J. Malden stood his ground. Well, on my way, I had a friend named Jay. And Jay, in the sixth grade, was the kid that, like, rolled cigarettes up in his sleeves. And, and, uh, and you know, he was the kid with the mohawk. Everybody else's parents wouldn't let him have it, but Jay had a mohawk. And, and uh, he had a cigarettes rolled up in his sleeves. And, and Jay came up to me. He was known on the football team for being one of the mean guys. And there's some football players that just love being mean. They love inflicting pain. And that was this guy, huge guy. And Jay comes up to me. He says, hey, TJ, I heard that you, like, you said yes to this fight. And I was like, yeah, I did. You're going to die. Yeah. And he said these words, listen, he said, I got your back. Listen, in that moment I was like, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And listen, my, my swag just began to increase as I walked down the hall and, and just this air about me. And by the time we made it to the end of the hall, word had already gotten to the other guy that Jay had my back. I, I don't want none, bro. No, come on, man. Yeah. Hold me back, Jay. I hope you're grabbing the connection. Because word goes before us who has our back. 
See, word had already reached him that someone greater than TJ was fighting on behalf of TJ. Someone with more power and more clout and more renown, someone with great fame was going in my place. Today, we have reason to have great faith and confidence in God because he goes before you. He's got your back. When you walk through difficult times, when you walk through suffering, when you walk through adversity, you have someone fighting for you on your behalf, someone that loves you, that calls you his own, someone that calls you his. He is for you. He's got your back. So hear this today. Make God the object of your faith. Listen, my faith that day was not in my ability to win the fight. I knew that I was going to lose. My faith was in the guy that stood beside me that rolled his cigarettes up in his sleeve. We put our faith in man, it'll fail us. Put our faith in ourselves, and we're prone to do stupid stuff. (laughs) If you're anything like me, I'm just a moron sometimes, and I let myself down. You put your faith in a church. As much as we, we love this faith community, and, and this is for all of you, and I know my college kids, you guys are going to go all over the world and be involved in different faith families and churches, so listen to me. We put our faith and hope in churches and their processes, their preachers and their committees. They will let you down at some point. That's why he says have faith in God. Make God the object of your faith. He, it's like this rhythm in scripture. Over and over, Jesus is reminding us. He even said it, with man it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. With man it's impossible. Man, there's rhythm. Don't build yourself up. Don't, don't put your faith in this world. Don't put your faith in other things. Pick me. Put me first. I've chosen you. Put me first. I won't let you down. That's the echo that's coming from scripture. Every other thing Everything other than God will let us down. Everything other than God will let us down. But God is the great joy giver when everything else falls short. And listen, even our bodies. I'm only, I'm 32 and and like, man, I have aches and pains. I'm like, man, where did that come from? I'm "I'm only 32. People say that's young and I feel old sometimes. My body is reminding me that I wasn't created for this world and one day even this thing's going to fail me and let me down. But if my hope is in God alone, he'll never let me down. Now, let me, Habakkuk said it better, and you can jot this down and read it later. I'll paraphrase for you in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. He said, though the olive branch may fail, though the fig tree doesn't bud, and there's no food on the vine, there's no foods out, food out in the field, There's no sheep in the pasture and there's no oxen in the pen. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The writer was telling us, listen, I don't have anything left in this world and I'm probably going to die, but my hope isn't in this world. My faith isn't in what's in the field or what's on the tree. My faith isn't in what this world has to offer. I trust in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Make God the object of your faith. So that when you walk through difficulty and you walk through hardship, you know that there's someone standing before you. I love the way that the uh, 
the old theologian said it. He said, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ to my left and Christ to my right. Christ above me and Christ below me. Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me. And Christ in the ears of everyone who hears of me. Christ in the mind of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in all. Man, when he is the object of your faith. You can begin to utter things like to live is Christ. To die is gain. When Jesus is the object of your faith, you can begin to make declarations like we would rather please God than man. You make God the object of your faith and you can begin to sing songs like you can have this whole world but give me Jesus. Make God the object of your faith today. We can have a movable faith because Jesus is the great promise keeper. And this is what I love. This analogy has been used for, for years and years and years, but no one came in this room this morning and thought, I need, to, I need to bend down and check the screws on this chair to make sure it's up for the task. Anybody? Anybody pull up the diagram and the, the model number on your phone and say, should I sit in this chair? Is it going to hold me? No. You walked in this room and you sat down. No one thinks when they go to that, you know, some of you have your chair at home or your end of the couch or however you roll. And, and, and no one goes home and today and you have this conversation with yourself. Now, is this thing going to fall apart when I sit down today? Now, I know it's held me every day when I come in and it's super faithful to hold me. But I, I think today, oh, that leg's a little wobbly. Anybody? No. We have this faith because it's been proven. We come in and we sit down and you have that special spot that you go, that your chair, your end of the couch or wherever, you go and you sit down and you rest because you have absolute faith because that piece of furniture has proven itself. How is it that we have more trust in furniture than the God Almighty who breathed out the universe? A God who's never failed. A God who's never backed down. A God who over and over and over and over since creation dawn has proven himself to us. Well, listen, I, I'm quick to do it sometimes. God says, TJ, trust me. And I stand back and say, hold on, Jesus. Let me, let me, let me rationalize. Let, let me build my box. Let me figure this thing out. Let me get my Excel spreadsheet out. That would actually be my wife. I don't even know how to work that stuff, but you know what I'm saying. Like, we kind of build these things and say, okay, God, as long as all these requirements are met and everything checks out, then I'll trust you. Oh, that God would be the object of our faith and you and I would rest in him. Some of us are still wondering, still broken, still fighting, still wrestling through life because we've never just given it all up and laid at the sufficiency of Christ our entire lives down. Faith, great faith. We can have a movable faith because Jesus is the great promise keeper. He holds us up. I want to read you a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 7 real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 7, I'll start in verse 6. For you are a people. I want you to hear this. He's writing here specifically to the children of Israel. Uh, but you and I are his chosen sons and daughters. We were grafted into the family, the Bible says. So hear this. For you are people holy. To the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. 
Out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people. It wasn't anything about you. But the Lord set his love on you and he chose you. Even though you were the fewest of all peoples, it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping his promise. He's keeping the oath he swore to your fathers. He is a promise keeper this morning. He has chosen you and he loves you. When will you make him the object of your faith? When will you lay your life down on the firm foundation that is Christ Jesus? Two things Jesus says in this scripture. He's telling the people around him that he cares about, his disciples who he's passing his ministry on to. You can't trust in the world, it's going to fail. And be reminded that man will fail you, the church will let you down. So don't put your faith there, put your faith in God. Have faith in me and then pray. And here's my question this morning. This is where we'll wrap up. The two things that Jesus asked his disciples to do right here, he commands them really, have faith in God and pray. We pray with boldness. We pray without fear of rejection. And we pray believing God-sized things because Jesus has all authority and everything belongs to him. When is the last time you prayed in faith? Maybe it was a prayer of thanksgiving. God, thank you for this breath. Maybe it's a prayer of repentance. God, I, I've, I've made a million other things the object of my faith. Would you be the object of my faith? Maybe it's a, a prayer of intercession for a friend or a neighbor or a loved one. God, would you move in their lives? When, when's the last time that you prayed in faith? I don't mean the last time we sat down and prayed over our food or the last time that, that we prayed corporately together. But when is the last time we sat down and said, God, I'm going to believe you to do something that's God-sized. I long for you to pray that way. I long for you to be a people of that kind of faith. I long to be a man of that kind of faith. And I wonder if today would be the day that we start. The day that we have faith in God and begin to pray. Because as the end of the scripture shows us, all authority rests in the hands of Jesus. Man, all authority. He actually said, all authority has been given to me. All authority. He's the one that's got your back. He's the one that's chosen you. And his word over you today is love. Would you have faith in him? Let's pray. Father, Lord, you're the greatest of all time. And God, we... We know that you hate hypocrisy. Lord, we don't want to be hypocrites. We just want to be followers. We want to be disciples. We want to be men and women who make you the object of our faith, that when the world lets us down, when things pass away, Lord, we have continued joy and strength because we know that you are the object of our faith. So God, I'm... I'm the world's worst sometimes, Lord. I take other things and make them the object of my faith and my devotion and my attention. So, Lord, clean our hearts today. I pray it corporately for us. God, clean our hearts. Help us to have that faith that just trusts you and lays our lives down at your feet, Lord, knowing that you always come through, that you're the great promise keeper. Jesus, do it today. Do work today, Lord. 
because you have all authority. And we submit to that authority today in the name of Jesus.